Okay, we have a quick video right now uh, from Paul Mayo. Paul is our, our, our leader in the church that oversees our unity ministry, which is a ministry to try to welcome everyone into the church, different races, different nationalities, different cultures. And he has a very short video, so every eye focused, and let's just give a minute here. New Life Worship Team going at it there. So, Brother Paul, if you're watching, thank you for putting that together. And uh, we're trusting the Lord for insights and for continued passion for people of all different races, cultures, nationalities, etc. Rebecca, come on up here. We're going to get into the Word right now. Uh, I've asked Rebecca just to say a, a prayer over our time in the Word this morning. So if you want to take your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. And Rebecca, lead us in a prayer. Thank you, Lord. God, we just pray over this word that we are about to hear. Yes, Lord. For God, we know in your word it says in James that anyone who is a hearer of the word, but also a doer, he will be blessed in his mm. doing. Yes, so God, Lord. I just pray that as we hear this word, that we would not only be doers, but that we would act on your word, God, that we would leave yes. here changed and transformed, and that yes, we would Lord. do whatever it is that you speak to us to do today, God. Yes, Holy Lord. Spirit, you know our hearts. I just pray that you would speak to each and every one of us. And you would just bless us, God, as we do your word. And I pray over Pastor Rick, God, that you would anoint him to preach this word and that we would receive it. And I just thank you for Pastor Rick. He is such a good, loving pastor, Lord. So I just pray that you would bless him in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen Amen to that. Thank you. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Rebecca is our intern from North Point Bible College. That's why you're going to be seeing her doing things around. Thank you, Rebecca. I told Rebecca one thing. Oh, my mask. Always be ready in season and out, right? Just whatever we need. And you're doing an excellent job at that. Thank you. All right. So we're in uh, Acts chapter 4. And I want to I just refresh your memory. Last week we talked about a, we talked a, about a theme called the name. Uh, and the story was about, Philip, about Peter and John and how they healed the lame man as they were going into the temple. And the consequences that happened. This is in Acts 3 and 4. In Acts 3, 8, we, we read that the man leapt up. He jumped up in the air. He was healed. And we just picture him skipping and dancing and jumping into the temple praising God. Uh, on the other hand, we see Paul, uh, Peter and John were, were put, brought into custody. They were brought into a prison. They were severely questioned and harshly treated. Um, 
in verse number 7 of chapter 4, we read that uh, the, the council that was involved were so persistent in questioning them, they finally got to the point and they said, how did you do what you did? How, by what name, by what power did you do what you did? And in verse number 10, if you just want to take a look there, Acts 4.10, uh, Peter stands up and says, without, without any qualms about it, this man was healed by the name of Jesus Christ. He goes on to, to preach a little bit here in verse number 11. He says, this person, this name, this authority is the, is the, is the, uh, the stone that the builders rejected. Now he's quoting Old Testament scripture, so the Jews would have known what he was talking about. But he said, this stone has become the chief cornerstone. So not only did this name, this person of Christ, heal this man, but this person is the chief cornerstone, the foundation block of all of Christianity. Then he says in verse number 12, in fact, not only is he a healer and the the chief cornerstone, but no one can get saved by any other name but this name. And so they they were amazed, they were shaken, they didn't know what to do with all that. And, uh, and then we went on last week and we said, well, the name of the Lord is a holy name. So we've got to be holy as we approach him. We said the name of the Lord is a compassionate name. And we've got to share compassion among each other as a reflection of the compassionate God that we serve. And then we said that the name of the Lord is an eternal name. And we live our lives with eternity etched on our mind and in our heart and in our spirit. In fact, we ended by quoting from Hebrews that we are now... We are now registered in heaven. We're part of the firstborn church of the living God, the resurrected Lord. And so we, we, have, we have eternity before us. And so today I want to continue with the theme of the name of the Lord. I want to continue with the story of Peter and John. And I've entitled the message today, A Prayer in That Name. And we're going to be looking at 23 to 31. Uh, as we get into what they were praying or how they were praying. But before we go there, we have to pick up the story in verse number 14. Everybody with me? Are you glad you came to church today still? All right, good. Just making sure. So, so the story, you know, Acts 3, the man is healed. Acts 4, all this trouble happened for Peter and John. And, and, but they were proclaiming the Lord. But verse 14, the story continues. And so uh, they said, that seeing that the man who, who had been healed was standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So this is going back to verses, I think it's chapter 4, uh, 6 and 7. Uh, the, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, the leaders, all these people were gathered. And, and they, they see that this man who they knew probably from childhood who had been sick is now healed. They couldn't, they couldn't deny it. And uh, they could say nothing against it. Uh, Verse number 15, when they had commanded them uh, to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. So what they did was they were having a meeting. In other words, Peter and John and the layman were called on the carpet, so to speak. And they're in front of this council and they're interviewing them. The council couldn't say anything. So they said, okay, you guys go outside. We have to talk among ourselves. So they, they talk among themselves. And uh, verse 15, they commanded him to go outside. They conferred among themselves in verse 16, saying, what shall we do to these men? What are we going to do to these men? Uh, A noticeable miracle happened. We can't deny it. We have a situation on our hands. What are we going to do? So in verse number 17, they said, well, in order to prevent this thing from spreading, 
you know, getting everybody all worked up about it. We're going to severely threaten them that from now on they speak no longer to no men in this name, in this name of Jesus. How, 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 how well do you think that's going to go over with Peter and John? I'll tell you, it's not going to go over very well. So verse number 18. So they called them back into the meeting. Here they come back in. They commanded them, do not speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Man, that's like a challenge. That's like, a, that's like an argument waiting to happen right there. So verse, uh, verse 19. Peter and John answered and said to them, well, you tell me whether it's right or wrong. If we should listen to you or listen to God more. We can't deny what we saw and what we heard. So you tell me, what should we do about that? So, verse 21, they, they further threatened them, and, uh, and then they threatened them, and they let them go. They, could find, they couldn't do anything, so they released them, and uh, all the people were gathered. All the people were praising God, so in order to keep peace, they just let them go. So, my, my point is in all of that, I love, this, I love the story of this. I love the detail of it, but I, I'm nosy, and I want to know what happened next. And so we have to read on in the story. So starting at verse number 23, we get into the story a little bit more. It's not like they went home and lived their life happily ever after, and that's the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. So I want to start at verse number 23. And uh, let's see. Wait a minute. I I got ahead of myself. Oh, yeah, verse 21. Um, Verse 22. Interesting verse, verse 22. Uh, the man who was healed was 40 years old. Now, why is that in there? Well, if you're 40 years old, hallelujah, you have someone you can relate to. But I have a feeling that maybe this guy had been begging for most of his life, probably 30 years, 35 years or so. And now he's 40, and now he's got his breakthrough with God. There's a message in there that it's never too late to let God work in your life. Or never too early to let God work in your life, for that matter. So this man was 40. For whatever it means, he was 40 years old. We know that. So apply it to however you want to apply it. But verse 23. So now the man was healed. Peter and John were threatened. They were accused and they were you know, slandered and everything else. Uh, thrown in jail, taken out of jail. And they proclaim Jesus as the healer, as a chief cornerstone, as, as salvation in no other name. They're doing good. But in verse 23, we read what happens next. So being let go, they went to their own companions. Now today, I, I want to take time to exegetically go through this passage. I want to take every verse and talk about it just a little bit to bring some life to it. So when I, when I read, they went to their own companions, I'm thinking, you know what? It's not a bad idea to have some comrades in your life that you could go to in your time of trouble. I really think that this is a, 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 a uh, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? This is a subsequence of Hebrews 10.25 where it says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, especially as you await the day of the Lord. Because when you assemble together, you develop relationships and friendships and so forth. And so when you have a problem, you have some comrades to go to. And let me throw in something else while I'm preaching. The ministry out in California, the big ministry, the big TV ministry, they're not going to come to Haverhill to minister to you. This is all within the confines of the local church. They had friends, they had relationship with people that they knew, flesh and blood people. And, and, and they, they, they got them, and, and they knew each other, 
And uh, it's centered around the fact that they knew where to go to. You know, just like there's another passage in Acts when Peter was in, uh, was in jail and the church was praying for Peter. Remember the story? I think, I, don't, I forget where it is. Acts, I don't know, 11, 12. But Peter is in jail and they're praying for him to get released. And he gets released and he knows where to go to find the, the body. And when he gets there, they're surprised that he's there, which is another story. But the point was Peter knew where to go. Peter and John, in verse 23, they knew who to go to. They had friends. They had relationship with people. And so they went, uh, they went there, and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Um, and verse 24, when the people heard that... Now, the, the other thing is, who, who was there? They went to their companions. Well, who were their companions? We can only speculate. I have a feeling it was probably the other ten apostles... It was probably the lame man was there. He was all excited. But, you know, in Acts 2, 3,000 people got saved. In Acts 4, 5,000 got saved. So who knows how many people were there. But there was a group of people there that they went to. And so when, they, when, they, when the people heard it, uh, they didn't ask a lot of questions. They didn't question their motives or, or, or the other people's motives. They didn't start gossiping about the situation. Uh, they didn't really talk at all. It says the next thing it says was they raised their voice to God. They began to call upon the name of the Lord. What a great precedent. That when there's a dilemma, there's a problem, there's an issue. We don't have to go gossiping and talking all about it to everybody. We need to raise our voice to God and pray for one another. That's the lesson we're learning here. In fact, I, I have a couple of quotes here. Joshua 7, 9. As they call upon the name of the Lord, Joshua 7, 9 says of the Lord, you have a great name. Isaiah says, you have a glorious name and you have a holy name, O God. David said, O God, your name is everlasting. Your name is exalted. And they began to call upon the name of the Lord. With, you know, they began to call upon the name of the Lord. And, and they didn't begin to call upon other people per se. They were all there. And then it says they were all with one accord. Can I talk about unity for just a minute? Unity is really very, very important. As in Acts 2.1, they were in the upper room in one accord, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And when the Holy Spirit came, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues, and turned that whole city of Jerusalem upside down. But here they're in one accord, they're in agreement, they're united, they're on the same page with the same doctrine, the same expectancy, the same faith. And they said, this is why I, uh, I look at this verse... 24, and I see this is a Pentecostal prayer meeting, no, no question about it. You got all these people. Let's say there's, what, 20 people? Let's say there's 50 people. Let's say there's 100 people. But they all say with one voice. So this is, in essence, what they were saying. You ever get around a bunch of Pentecostal people that are all praying? Some are speaking in tongues, they're, they're bombarding heaven, and they're all saying a little bit different things, but in one voice they're calling upon the name of the Lord. That's what I see here. This is a Pentecostal prayer meeting. And so they're, they're, they, have, they raise their voice to the Lord, they call upon the name of the Lord with one accord, and, and, uh, and, uh, and this is what they said. Lord, get those guys. Lord, make them, uh, make them die. Lord, do something with them. Uh, no, they didn't do anything like that. They didn't say, they weren't even praying about the situation. The first thing they said was, Lord, you are God. 
And you have to ask, what does that have to do with the situation? They just got out of jail. They're being rebuked. They're being threatened. The lame man's over there wondering what in the world's going on. Lord, you are God. They're pronouncing the sovereignty of God. Can I tell you something? This is a great teaching on how to pray. Most of the time when we pray, Lord, Lord, help me. Lord, do this. Lord, Baba. No, no. Lord God, you are God. It sets our priorities straight that whatever we're dealing with, whatever I am, whatever the situation is, it's secondary that God is God. And because God is God, you know what? I'm going to be all right as I surrender to his sovereignty. So the very first thing is, you know, uh, Lord, you are God. You think God didn't know he was God? You know, Lord, you're, they're, they're recognizing the sovereignty of God. This is the early church. This is the, this is the foundation of the church. This is what the early church did. And often we get our doctrine the way the early church did it because they were closest to the Lord. And the first thing they say, they, oh God, you are God. David said the same thing one time, oh God, uh, you are my God, early will I seek you. And in doing so, the sovereignty of God, all knowing, all understanding, all loving, all powerful, totally able. We recognize, Lord, that you are God. And whatever's going on with us, we know that you have it under control. You know it already. There's nothing that overtakes you by surprise. We know that you know God. Oh God, oh Lord, you are God. He's sovereign. This is the Lord's supreme authority. So the first thing they say is, oh Lord, you are God. The second thing they say is, you're our creator. Look, you made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in that, all that is in them. And you ask, what does that have to do with healing the lame man and getting ridiculed by the Pharisees and being thrown in jail and all this other stuff? And my answer to that is, it has everything to do with it because our trials, our tribulations must be surrendered to a sovereign creator God that looks out for our best interest. It's putting things in perspective. Jesus prayed in Matthew 11, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Nehemiah prayed in Nehemiah 9.6, You, O God, made the heaven, and you made the heavenly host, and the earth, and the seas. Peter said, Cast your soul upon him as to a faithful creator. So it's just getting the right perspective. That when we have a problem, we go to the God of all gods, the God of the universe. We go to the God that made us thus knows how to fix us and what's wrong with us. Not only is he a sovereign God and a creator God, but then it goes into the prayer, verses 25 and 26, they begin to quote scripture. Now you have to understand what the scripture is to really appreciate it. So they're, they're not even getting to the point of what they want to pray about yet. They're just calling upon the name of the Lord. Lord, you are God. You are the creator. And now you're the, you're the God of, of the word And they're quoting from Psalm chapter 2. Now, if you know anything about Psalm chapter 2, you would know that Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. In other words, Psalm 2 was written prophetically by David that points to the coming Savior. And so the first two verses are quoted here. Why did the nations rage? Why did the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Well, Psalm 2 goes on to say... 
that as they're mocking God, the ungodly nations mock God, that God laughs at them. And God promises to send his son that will be a savior for all the world. So they include that in this prayer, which is very interesting. But what they do is, verse 27 and 28, they apply that to verses 25 and 26. So they're saying that that Psalm 2 has been fulfilled, so to speak, by Herod, by Pilate, by the Gentiles, and, and by Israel, that all conspired together under God's hand to, uh, to crucify the Christ. And so they're, they're including that in their prayer. So there's a point here. It's not a bad idea to include Scripture in your prayer time. Get some Scripture. Get, have your Bible handy. You know, look, look through it as you're praying. And uh, so, okay, so he's a Savior. He's a sovereign God. He's a creator God. And now he's a God of the Word. And, um, and so he's saying in verses 27 and 28, this is a fulfillment of this Psalm 2, that the Savior came, the ungodly nations rejected him, and the ungodly nations are listed there in 27 and 28. Who remembers seeing the Passion of the Christ? Right? Great movie. I hear there's a part two being made or going to be made, which I'm excited about. But I remember when it came out many years ago now that there was a lot of controversy because it seemed as though uh, Mel Gibson was saying in the movie that it was the Jews that were responsible for crucifying Christ. He was kind of ridiculed for that. Well, the Jews didn't really crucify Christ. We all crucified Christ. It was Herod, it was Pilate, it was Gentiles, it was Israel. So we can never say one particular group crucified Christ. We all put him, well, in another sense, he put himself on the cross. So, so it's not like anyone really did it. He just wanted to do it himself. But we can't pick out one particular group and blame them for doing it. But they all conspired together to work under God's hand, in verse 28, to do what God had determined beforehand. I find this very interesting. That after this big ordeal, they, they go back to their comrades and they're praying and they start proclaiming the sovereignty of God. It's a good idea, church. When we pray together, we need to proclaim the sovereignty of God. We need to proclaim that He's our Creator. He made us, He made everything. We're submissive to His authority. And He's a God of the Word, and His Word always speaks to us. And then we go into, okay, so here we go, verse number 20, uh, 29. So this is the actual prayer part that, that I wanted to get to. So they say, okay, Lord, the sovereign God, creator God, God of the word, Lord, look at their threats. And, and they don't say, Lord, get them. Lord, make them suffer. They doesn't say anything about that. Their prayer is not about those people. Their prayer is about themselves. He says to the Lord, Lord, in the midst of all of this, the threats and everything that's going on, Lord, make us bold. Give us boldness. Because they're threatening us. You could say, maybe they were nervous. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they were afraid that you know, something was terrible was going to happen. But he's saying, you know, and to paraphrase, Lord, let, let us not be afraid. Let us not be intimidated. Make us bold. Give us a baptism of fire, as in Acts 1.8 and Acts 2.4. Anoint us, Lord, with your spirit, that we would be bold. And not bold to fight them or argue with them, but to stand up, to be brave, to move forward, not to shrink back. What does it say in verse 29? Give us your, your boldness that we may what? We may speak your word. 
Empower us, O oh God, that we may be able to speak your word. And not only speak your word, but that, that through us, your hand would be stretched out to bring healing. And that through our ministry, that signs and wonders would follow the preaching of your word. Through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. As in Mark 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go to all the nations. Baptize people. Cast out demons. Raise the sick up. Lay hands on the sick. Raise them up. And signs and wonders will follow the preaching of the word. So I find this an interesting circumstance and a great example of how, how to pray. But I want to give you some prerequisites that we just talked about. If we want to pray in that name of Jesus Christ. Number one, there's got to be unity among the believers. We all have to understand we're all submissive to God. Nobody has an authoritative role other than Jesus Christ in our midst. That we, we are united with other believers and we're, we have like faith, we trust God, we trust the doctrines of the church, and we're united in heart and soul and spirit. And every Monday night, there's a prayer meeting here at 630. I encourage you to come if you can. We're still in our season of prayer and fasting from September 16th to October 14th, which is Friday. So this is our last week of prayer and fasting. I want to encourage you, church, utilize this time. Unite with other believers and pray and fast and seek the Lord. Number two is that, uh, verse number 24, there's got to be some type of knowledge of who God is and what he's able to do. He can heal the sick. He can save the lost. He promised signs and wonders would follow. But we have to come to God in the name of Jesus, understanding this is, this is what he wants to do. We don't have to twist his arm to do anything. This is what he designed to do. And thirdly, we have to have godly priorities. And, and I, if, if anything's lacking, I would say this probably is lacking the most. We see uh, Peter and John and Verse number, chapter 3, verse number 6, when they first raised up that lame man from the, from the sickbed. Silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. They gave up their money. They gave up their means. They didn't have anything of this world really to speak. They gave it all up to the Lord. In chapter 4, 3, we see that they were in prison. They gave up their rights. They gave up everything to follow the Lord. And you know God's going to answer a heart like that. He's going to respond to a desperate heart that, that's seeking God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind. So we see here with priorities, um, if we have godly priorities, we're, 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 um, we're serving God. We're not serving ourselves. Our prayers are not always bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. It's more like empower me to be your witness, Lord, in spite of the consequences. We exalt God. We don't exalt ourselves. We, we pray for salvations of the lost and equipping of the saints. We don't pray for prosperity per se. They didn't once mention prosperity. Lord, give me this or give me that. Boldness to preach the word of God. And then, uh, so in verse number 31, then as this little segment concludes, when they had prayed, uh, the, place, uh, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Powerful uh, story in the Bible. Don't you agree? It's a great story. This is a great, great story. But it, it doesn't really end there either. It, it continues on, and I want to go just to verses uh, 32 and 33. Because I want to talk about uh, the results of praying in that name. 
And there are great results of praying in that name. The early church had it, the church has it throughout history, and the church has it today. So I'm going to give you four things to think about, all right? The first thing is this. When we pray in that name, with a good heart, with a humble heart, with unity, and all that's involved, number one is we see in verse number 32, we see a great multitude of believers. You know, in other words, as we pray in the name of Jesus, let me put it this way. Darkness trembles at the name of Jesus. We sing a song like that, as a matter of fact. But, but demons tremble at the name of Jesus. And the message of the cross goes forward in the name of Jesus. But it says that, verse 32, the multitudes of those who believe. So there, there was a multitude. The church grew. And there was the boldness they prayed for in verse 29 was realized and they were preaching the word of God and people were getting saved. And I want to just go over the history of the early church real quickly with these verses on the screen. Because every time the church was praying in the name of Jesus, people were getting saved. And I want that for this church. I'm so happy to say we have a discipleship class every Thursday night. Pastor Bill, thank you for that. That's from 6 to 7. If you're a new believer, come to the discipleship class. It's one thing to get saved. It's another thing to become a student of the Word of God and learn how to live your life accordingly, right? So I'm glad we have a discipleship class. But here's the pattern, Acts 2.47. The Lord added to the church daily those who were getting saved. This is a pattern in the New Testament church. Acts 5.14, the believers were increasingly added, multitudes of men and women being added to the church. Multitudes. Acts 6.1, when the number of disciples was multiplying, they had some special ministry, but it was multiplying. Acts 8.6, the multitudes heeded the things spoken by Philip, that's in Samaria. Acts 9.31, the churches of Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace they were edified. They had the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were, they were being multiplied. That's Acts 9.31. We see in Acts 2, 3,000 souls. Acts 4, 5,000 souls. Acts 8, multitudes. Also in Acts 8, after the multitudes, the Holy Spirit sent Philip out to one person, the Ethiopian eunuch. So it's not only about multitudes of numbers and great numbers. It's about the individual getting saved. But God is always saving people when we pray in the name of Jesus. And I want to stress that. And, 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 and to bring it home, there are thousands of people in Haverhill, Bradford, Plastow, Kingston, Lawrence, all over the place that need to know the power of Jesus' love. And they're not going to find it by reading a book. Well, they might. They could. But the Lord has commissioned the church to go into all the world and proclaim this gospel. So that's our role to bring this message in the name of Jesus. So you may say, well, how long does it take for someone to get saved if you're praying in the name of Jesus? I've been praying a long time for some people. I don't know the answer to that. God knows that. That's not my business. That's not our business. That's God's business. All I know is that when we pray in the name of Jesus, people get saved. I've seen it happen. And I've seen it happen here, too. We're praying for salvations. And guess what? People start getting saved. Pray for visitors to come to the church. Guess what? Visitors start coming to the church. You know what? I've been praying for a while. Lord, I've always wanted to pastor a church where people could walk to the church. I look at this neighborhood and I think, I don't know, maybe. Now we have two ladies that walk to church. One lives over there and one lives across the street. This is awesome. 
I'm just saying, in the name of Jesus, people will hear the word and be, respond to the word of God. So don't be discouraged. Keep praying in that precious name. We see multitudes coming to the Lord. And I, I believe also today, uh, across the world, multitudes of people are coming to Christ. Do you know that? When you think of church history, when we look back at this season, the last 25 years or so, you'll see the evangelical church and the Pentecostal church has totally exploded all over the world. A lot of people are getting saved. Evidenced by, among other things, the music industry is phenomenal. The Christian music, there's so much good Christian music. I can remember in the day, back in the day, there was no Christian music. Now it's like, it's like taking over. It's like, it's on secular radio, for goodness sakes. I'll go even farther. It's on secular radio in Massachusetts and not only Georgia. Because it was always big down south. Now it's in New England. Christian radio in New England. That's, that's phenomenal. But there are multitudes getting saved and God is doing great things. But we've got to continue to pray in the name of Jesus. Now here's number two. Verse 32. Are you with me in verse 32? Acts 4.32. Those who believed were of one heart and one soul. When we pray in the name of Jesus, there has got to be a unity. And a unity does come because we're putting all of our faith and trust in of Jesus Christ. There's unity. The earmark of a good church and the earmark of a sovereign move of God is the unity of the people in that fellowship. You know, I, I have a good friend, and some of you know him from being on, online on our live streams. Our brother Tony. Tony, if you're, if you're listening, God bless you, my brother. I love you. But I'm going to share something that you said to me this week. I talked to Tony. He goes to our Zoom meetings. And he, he, Tony's been on every one of our live streams, I think, since March. He lives in uh, uh, Jersey Shore, right? So he's he never been here. He's on every Sunday morning, every Tuesday, every Thursday, every Wednesday. Night. I think he missed two or three in months. But he said to me the other day, and he's never been here. He said, Rick, I, your, your church is like a big family. I said, oh, Tony, that blesses me. But we should be like a big family. We should know each other. We should pray for each other, be concerned about each other. This is the earmark of a good church. And for someone on the outside to see that just from a live stream, I think is really good. So thank you, Tony, for sharing that with me. So, yeah, so there's great unity. In Acts 2.1, they were in one accord waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit came. Guess what? Acts 2.41, I think it is, Acts 2.46, after the Holy Spirit came and all this big thing happened and all these people got saved, they were still in one accord following the doctrines of the apostles and breaking bread together and praying together, still in one accord. I don't need to tell you about Psalm 133, but I will. Oh, how good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil poured on Aaron's head, falling down on his beard. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon, where, where the Lord proclaims life forevermore. So to get all that, there are only three verses, but how powerful that is. When there's unity, when there's brotherhood, sisterhood, when there's fellowship going on, how good and pleasant it is. But in that environment comes the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Spirit, the water of the Spirit moving. And in that, in that situation, there, there is proclaimed life forevermore. As opposed to when there's not unity, when there's not good fellowship, when there's not good things happening, you know, God is, God is hindered in what he could do. 
But when there's good fellowship and good unity, the Lord is there in the middle of it. We see in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, we won't go to it, but the body of Christ is like a human body, a different function, the different parts, different pieces, all working together for something powerful and something good. Hallelujah. So we see great multitudes and we see, we see great unity as we pray in the name of Jesus. You know, there's power in this prayer. Here's number three. I don't want to be too long with each one. Here's number three. In verse number 33. Great power came upon the apostles and they gave the resurrection of the Lord. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, let, let me try to explain this and articulate this. When people are together, there's unity, and they're praying in the name of Jesus. The leaders, and in this case, they're risking their lives in ridicule, in prison, maybe death, and they're still being witnesses of the resurrected Christ. Now, in today's culture, let me just throw this in. In case you didn't know, I don't know how, what the percentage is, but a lot of people don't even believe in the resurrection of Christ. Let me go even further. A lot of people in some churches don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, or so I've been told. So when we stand and we proclaim the resurrected Christ, we become a target of being a fanatic or being crazy or whatever. But they had power to stand up against the culture and proclaim the resurrected Christ. And if we ever need that power, church, it's now. But praying in the name of Jesus, this is part of the boldness they got. They were able to proclaim the resurrected Christ. And so, if this is true, and this is true, the great power came upon the apostles to proclaim this, this resurrection. But I, I look at it this way. If that is true, and that is true, but if the opposite were happening, what I mean is, if there wasn't unity, if there wasn't togetherness, if there was stuff going on in the body that took all the leaders' attention from the main thing, and they're putting out brush fires every week, taking care of this one and that one, and this problem and that problem. There's no authority, there's no power, there's no anointing. They're zapped. The power is zapped from them. But when they're praying in the name of Jesus and there's unity within the body, those leaders are empowered to proclaim the Word of God. And every leader should be empowered to proclaim the Word of God. Now listen, I'm very aware in the culture we live in, in the day we live in, Many pastors are getting involved in social issues. I'm not against that per se. That's not my calling. I'm not a social worker in that sense. I mean, there's a part of the gospel that is socially minded. But my role in the leadership of this church, our role is to present the gospel in the midst of what's going on. So we have a pandemic. We have violence in the streets. We have an election that's coming up. Everything's crazy around here. Well, my role is to preach the word of God. And to let you all get it and, and filter it through. And, and then we, we, we live our lives based on the Word of God. So we deal with those issues, but we deal with the Word of God first. So my, my role is not to tell anybody what to do with this pandemic or with the political thing. That, that's not my role. My role is to teach you the Word of God. And your role is to pray for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, so here they are. They're, they're preaching doctrinal truth. They're preaching the word of God um, without fear of offending somebody, without fear of being ridiculed or mocked. 
or getting some negative feed, feedback, that proverbial phone call on a Monday. Pastor, what did you mean by what you said on Sunday? Well, I'll tell you what I meant. But they were proclaiming truth. They weren't preaching prosperity, per se. They weren't. Could you imagine Peter and John preaching? I'm going to preach today on making friends and gaining influence. In that culture, they would have been laughed at. They don't need how to, they don't need know how to make friends and gain influence. They need the word of God. You know, so he's not saying, you know, if you do this, you're going to get that. If you do this, God's going to do that. No, they're proclaiming the word of God. He's preaching the cross. He's preaching repentance. He's preaching holiness. He's preaching the risen Christ. He's preaching miracles for today. Full gospel message today. He's preaching power in the name. The defeat of sin and addiction and diseases in the name of Jesus. He's proclaiming the the rapture, the second coming of the Lord. And so with that authority and that power, the word can go forward with a special anointing. But, but people, the leaders need the churches to be praying for them in the name of Jesus to be empowered to fulfill their calling and their mission. 1 Corinthians 2.2 2, I determined to know nothing else among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Well, I talk about a clear focus. So many ministries get sidetracked. I'm not saying we don't get involved in other things. We do. But the main thing has to stay the main thing. The main thing is Jesus Christ crucified, died, buried, resurrected the third day, ascended, gone to heaven with a promise to come back again. That's the main thing. And we need great power in spite of the culture we live in to proclaim these wonderful biblical truths until Jesus comes back. Jesus said in another place, will the Son of Man really find faith when he comes back? Will he really find people praying and trusting and, and, and following the doctrines of the, of the church that have been presented throughout the book of Acts? Will he really find faith? I say yes, he'll find faith. I don't know how much faith, but there'll always be a remnant that are trusting in the Lord. So there'll be great power. And then the last thing is this. We see it in verse number 33. Great grace was upon them all. Well, there has to be great grace. You know, there's great sinners getting saved. Terrible people getting saved. Delivered. And so there's got to be grace being poured out to those people. There's got to be grace poured out upon the congregations that are now ministering to people that just got saved. There's responsibility, there's opportunity to love the unlovable, to reach out, to embrace people, to love people. And so, yeah, so a church that's really thriving is going to be characterized by God's grace. God knows, and and if we're smart, we'll know we can't do anything without God's grace. So someone says, oh, your church is doing so great, blah, blah, blah. Well, hallelujah, it's God's grace, brother. Don't give me any credit, don't give anybody any credit. It's God's grace that's doing it. I should really say, if that happens, it's because people are praying for our church. In the name of Jesus. And it's almost like, you know, you get into this mindset that if we pray like, like with fervency and belief in the name and authority of Jesus, it's almost like God is waiting for that to happen. And he responds because he wants to respond to us. He's waiting for that to happen. Peter, Peter said in 1 Peter 4.10, be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You got it. I got it. Don't abuse it, but be good stewards of the grace of God. Jesus said to Paul, 2 Corinthians eleven nine, My grace is sufficient for you. 
I'm not going to heal you, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Without raising your hand, however, how many of you ever feel weak? You know, you feel like, oh my goodness, I can't do this. I have no power. I have no, I have no, uh, sometimes I have no motivation. But Jesus told Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. In your weakness, I'm going to be strong. And so my grace is sufficient for you. That's the earmark of a powerful church right there, and a powerful believer that recognizes their limitations. We can do nothing without the touch of God on our lives. And this is Paul, who went to the third heaven, had these tremendous experiences. He still could do nothing without the touch of God's grace on his life. James says in James 4, 6, God gives more grace. Oh, thank you, Lord. Just when I think I got all I need, I need a little bit more. No, just when I think I got it all together. You ever, you ever do that? I got it all. I got it now. I'm all ready to go. Man, five minutes later, something happens. Oh, God, give me some more grace. I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more. God gives more grace. He said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. So, yeah, there's, there's great grace when we're praying in the name of Jesus. There's got to be. There's got to be. So in, in concluding this, when we pray in that name, we follow the example. We have unity. We have some knowledge about who God is and what he wants to do. We have our, the right priorities. We see great multitudes coming to know the Lord. We see great unity among the church. We see great power, not only among the leadership, but among everyone in the church. There's power there. And a church needs to be powerful today. Can I tell you that? Can I just talk about that for a minute? Now is not the time to be a so-so church. You know, now's not the time to be lackadaisical and hide our head in the sand and watch the world go by or not watch the world go by. Now's the time for the church to buckle down. That's why we've been praying and fasting for these four or five weeks. We want to play hardball here, you know. We're not playing softball. We're playing hardball. So we see uh, great multitudes, great unity, great power, and great grace coming on the church. So here we are in the midst of this 2020, which is a ridiculous year by all accounts. This is one for the record books. Absolutely. Everyone says it's one for the record books. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And it's not even over yet. But we said this from the very beginning in March when this happened. What is God doing to the church during this time? Closing churches down, having half attendance in the church, resurrecting the whole live stream situation. Zoom meetings, never heard of that before. What is God doing through all of that? I'll go back to 2 Chronicles 7.14. The Lord said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. But most people don't read the rest of the chapter where it says if they don't do that, (laughs) calamity will fall upon the land and they'll be cast aside. I think, I still think, six months into this, that this is God's way of giving his church an opportunity to shake off the lackadaisicalness and get serious about the things of God. 
It happens in church, but it also happens at home. It also happens at work. It happens in our community. It happens wherever we go because we, we have the Holy Spirit within us. So I want to I end this by, by quoting uh, Acts 4.29, where, where it says, uh, Lord, grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I want that to be our, our closing verse, but I want that to be our theme for this week as we conclude our prayer and fasting time. That wouldn't it be great that God would use us to, to present his name to people that are lost, that are addicted, that are troubled? That God would use us to lay hands on the sick and bring healing to them? That God would use the church, this church and his church so that signs and wonders would be used to draw people to him? What I'm saying is, I believe that's us. That's our calling right now. And I I could go on about different things, but you know, right now, some people are really troubled by everything. Emotionally troubled, psychologically troubled, spiritually troubled, physically sick, a lot of sickness going on. A lot of things are happening. A lot of people are questioning their faith. Jesus, uh, Paul said, in the last days, there there will be a falling away. You know, people are falling away from the Lord during this time. It's getting tough. But this is a time for the church to rise up in the name of Jesus Christ, in the power of that name, in the anointing of that name. So why don't we stand together and say this verse with me. I think it's on the board up there. Uh, Lord, grant servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Let's say it again. Lord, grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. Every head bowed for just a moment. We say this often, but it's worth saying again right now, that many people want a savior. Many people want to deliver because they have troubles and problems. But not everyone wants a Lord and a master. But if I could articulate this, getting, becoming saved, becoming a Christian, is simply the beginning of the relationship. He wants us to go from deliverance and salvation to calling him master and Lord. Now that we're clean, now that we're holy, now that we're good, we, he wants us to serve him with, with a true heart, with a faithful heart. So number one is this. Is there anyone here, maybe someone at home, that feels like you, you, just, you just need to receive Christ as your Savior, as your deliverer? You, you're in trouble. You know you're in trouble. You need someone to rescue you. And so you want to open your heart. You want to receive Christ into your heart. You want to ask God to forgive you of your sins. And you want to begin the walk as a Christian person. Is there anyone like that here? Just raise your hand if that's you. If there's someone at home, make sure you contact us later today. Send us a text or an email. Secondly, I wonder if there's anyone here today or at home that has done that. That's not the issue. You're, you're saved. But there's areas of your life where Jesus is not Lord of that area of your life. Whatever it is. 
whatever it is, pride, arrogance, whatever, lust, whatever, ambition, whatever, you know Jesus is not the Lord of that part of your life. He's not the master of that part of your life. So let me ask that question. Is there anyone here that's walking with the Lord, but you have areas that are unsurrendered to his lordship? Anyone like that? Yeah, be honest. You know, yes. All right, I'm going to pray. Lord God, thank you for your word today. Oh God, thank you for speaking to us in a very personal way today. Lord, thank you for everyone here. Thank you for those that are on live stream. We ask you now, Lord, number one, Lord, we accept you. We, we, we believe in you. We open up our hearts. We confess our sins before you. We ask you, Lord, come into my life. Come into my heart. Save me, oh God. Save, deliver me from this body of death that I'm in. Save us, oh God. We, we confess our sin and we confess you as our personal uh, Savior and the deliverer of our lives. And Lord, now also we want to pray that we would now begin to submit our lives to you that are basically straightened out. Our lives are good. But we want to surrender to your lordship. We want you to be the master of our lives. We don't need you to deliver. We've been delivered. We've been saved. We're good. Those bad things are done. We're not doing those anymore. We're not living there. We just need to surrender our lives to you so that you would be the Lord of our lives and the master of our lives. So we surrender, Lord, to that as well. And so, Lord, as we leave this place today, let us be reminded when we, when we encounter a problem, whether it be with people or with a situation or with demonic forces, that in the name of Jesus Christ, we have a victory. We have an empowerment from on high that this battle will be put under the feet of Christ and we will be more than overcomers. So, Lord, I, I commission everyone here, and I, I pray, Lord, your blessing on everyone here as well as at home today. Let us leave this service empowered in the name of Jesus to be your hand extended, your feet extended to a lost and hurting world. Let us bring with us the power of the message of the cross. And, Lord, we thank you for this, and we look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. All right. So we have our prayer meeting tonight at 6. Um, we have... Uh, if anyone needs to be baptized, by the way, the last Sunday of this month, we're going to do baptism on that Sunday night. So make sure you let us know. All the rest of the information is on our Facebook page, and uh, you can check it out. We'll talk to you later. God bless.